What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Verzi Effect Podcast Show. My name is Paul Verzi. Today is Friday, April 6th. I know I'm a day late. It was, uh, happened because uh, I thought I was going to have a guest. I'm not having a guest. I'm actually going to have a guest in uh, um, in two weeks. I already have a, a guest uh, booked for that one. So I will be flying solo here today. It is a beautiful day here in New York. Skies are blue, about 60 degrees. And I'm not a fucking weatherman, so I don't know why I'm doing that. But it's a great day. And as you can tell, I'm in a good mood. Um, and you want to know why? It's very simple. I'm in a good mood because I got good sleep. That's what happens when you are 33 years old with a boy who is almost three years old and a pregnant wife who's about to have a baby in about 20-something days. Okay, my daughter's coming and she's coming fast and we have not been getting sleep. But my mother-in-law was gracious enough to uh, take the baby for a couple of days so we can catch up on sleep. And guess what, folks? It is working for me. Um, I hit the hay last night, who knows what time, I just slept for probably 12 fucking hours, and I feel phenomenal, uh, and I have a lot of cool stuff to talk about here on the show, um, and I'm gonna go through it right now, I wanna first start off by talking about the, the last weekend that I had, opening for my buddy, uh, Bill Burr, we were, uh, Working together, and the thing about the thing about it is, when I work with Bill, a lot of people think, you know, since me and Bill are really good friends, that I work with him all the time. It's really not the case. I work with Bill a handful of times a year, and we schedule stuff either around sporting events or, you know, if he's local to to me, um, you know, when he comes here, and and we were able to to have a cool little. We started off the year, or a couple months ago, we did that like four theater run, and then uh, this past weekend we did two theaters. We did the Troy. We did the music hall in Troy, New York, up, uh, I guess, like 20 minutes north of Albany, which was awesome. Then we did the Terrytown thing, and we also shot some of the movie that we're doing. So um, it was great. It was just a great, absolutely great weekend. Um, Troy is such a cool, you know, they told me that it wasn't a good neighborhood, or I guess like the outskirts of it can be shitty, but Troy, New York, we were in like a theater from the 1800s. And it was beautiful. It was like there was probably close to a thousand people there. Um, it had all of these like levels in the back, and uh, that just went up. And it had this big organ in the back, and then on both sides, going up the wall, um, on the right and the left side of the the theater, they had like these little, you know, Abraham Lincoln type of booths. You know, you know where Abraham Lincoln, like the box seats where he got shot. They had those going up. It was awesome. The crowd was into it. They were willing to go for the ride with everything. Uh, I had a couple of my buddies who I went to high school with who live up there. Shout out to my buddy Brian and my buddy Keith. Um, they were there, and then we went out. And there's also a dinosaur barbecue there. So after we did the show, we went to the dinosaur barbecue, and I got the mac and cheese that I love from dinosaur barbecue. For you people that don't know, Dinosaur Barbecue is like kind of like a famous place. There's a couple of them. There's one in Syracuse. It's kind of like a famous barbecue joint for um, you know ribs and and all that stuff, and it's really good. And we went there and we thought it was going to be mobbed. And other than the um, other than the live loud band, which we weren't sitting near, um, it was a great time. We sat. We had a couple of beers. We talked. We were talking sports. We were talking movies. And everything that everything that I love to talk about, we were sitting there talking about, 
and it was a great time. The show was great. So thank you um, for everybody there, for your kind words and everything. And I felt like I had a really good, I felt like I had a really good set. But, okay, this brings us to the next night. So we drive home and um, we came back to my house because the Terrytown gig that we were doing the next night was 20 minutes from me. So we got back obviously late because Troy's a couple hours away. And then we woke up and we were hanging out. And I sat down and I was like, I liked my set last night at Troy. But since I'm doing new stuff, I want to kind of have a different flow and really write it down and really look at how it, it flows instead of just plugging the new jokes into the regular set. So I sat down and I, I, I wrote it out and I was like, oh, I'm going to do this now. And I made some adjustments and then... We get to this theater in Terrytown. Another unbelievable, another unbelievable theater. It's this. It's the Terrytown Music Hall. It used to be an old movie house from the 1800s. I don't know what it, it what it was about all these facilities that were built in the 1800s, but apparently people in the 1800s were really short because every doorway, like I'm five foot eight, right? The average the average man's height in America, I believe, is five foot ten. Okay, I'm five foot eight, so I'm standing next to a doorway in in the Troy, which is exactly similar to the to the music hall in Terrytown, where you could see like the wire, uh, uh, the uh, the pipes. I'm sorry, you could see the the metal pipes just exposed going up, where all the plumbing is just outside, which is funny. But I'm standing next to a door. And my head, at five foot eight, there's only like two inches above my head, and and every every door. So I was literally like how Patrick Ewing and Shaquille O'Neal are at regular sized doors today. That's how it was. So apparently the people like I would have been a giant in the 1800s. I would have been like an NBA. I would have just walked in, and people would have been like, "Oh, this guy must be a ball player," if they even had ball in the 1800s. I don't know, but. Uh, just really old and 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 small ceilings, but the rooms were awesome. Terrytown on a Sunday night, which was April first, uh, that was I guess sold out at eight hundred and fifty something, and it was obviously it was sold out, and it was it was a great show. And what we did beforehand was um, I'm shooting a documentary film, as I've mentioned, uh, and. You know, it's it's we got some really big people in the movie, and it's just a lot of people that I respect, and it's going to be talking about. You know, I don't want to give too much of it away, but it's just going to be talking about the life that you know comedians like me live, where where um, you know just trying to live this life but still have a normal life. You know, have a family and 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 try to make it. And, you know, and and what's up against what's up against you? And you talk to comedians who did it with families, and comedians who were afraid to, and all that stuff. And anyway, so to I don't want to get too much into that, but uh, Bill Burr, it was his time to it was his shooting time. So he was talking, and then we did something where after the show, we uh, sat on the stage, and it was all empty behind us and we just we talked on camera and it was really really cool and it was a great time but folks I'm not going to lie to you um in all the times not only that I've opened for Bill but probably all the times that I've been doing comedy you know and now I'm getting some big ones under my belt you know with the Carnegie Halls and the the theater at Westbury and all these rooms but something about the the room 
the the Terrytown show was I really I feel like I'm now I'm talking about the the best realist most honest shit and I'm connecting and I'm finding my voice and doing so and it was just awesome and I never in my life had more people come up to me and ask me you know my name and how do you spell your last name and that was great and there was a there's a big agent there, man. There was uh, a big agent there who was like, Paul, you know, really good stuff. And there was some comedians there. Al Madrigal from The Daily Show was there, and he loved what I did, and he said some really nice things. And uh, Bill Burr had told me that uh, a lot of people were coming up to him asking about me. And I just felt like I had turned a corner during the set. I knew that I was doing something better than I've ever really done. I knew that I was being more honest than I've ever been, and it was just an awesome, awesome time. So the combination of that and shooting what we shot for the for the documentary film, and then we went out to this place, um, me and um, our buddy Thomas Lewis, who's uh, who's a, a newer comedian, an upcoming comedian, and also um, you know helped directing and shoot this movie with me. He was there with a buddy, another camera uh, guy with him there. Um, uh, Carlos, Carlos Garcia, another up-and-coming comedian who's helping us with the film. All these people, my manager, David Kimowitz was there. And after the show, it was such a great time that we decided to go into the uh, a bar, which was next door, which was closed. So we were kind of pissed off because we all, you know, we had way more gas in the tank after the night. So we had to, we wanted to go get some beers. And I was talking, me and Bill ate lunch that day, and I was talking about the local brewery here in Mount Kisco, uh, Captain Lawrence. They have a great pale ale. When we went to get the 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 burger for lunch, they only had Captain Lawrence another type of beer. It was called um, what was it called? Gold, liquid gold. And I didn't like the liquid gold beer as much. So so after the show in Terrytown, we're looking for a place. We find this little tiny restaurant that was still open. The bar was open. There was like five people from the audience in there, and that was it. We had this whole restaurant to ourselves, and the people from the audience were like, you know, they were like, oh, man, you guys were great. It was just really, really nice, and they said really nice things. And everybody keeps asking me how to spell my fucking last name. One guy literally came over to the table and was like, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt. How do you spell your last name? People think Verzi is V-E. I have to keep telling them it's V-I, and it's making me defiant. I want to get so fucking big. Or like famous that nobody ever fucks with it again. I'm telling you, if I ever fucking make it big, I'm going to be a, a, a prima donna dick. <laughs> Best hotel rooms, and if you fuck my name up, I'm going to be really... No, I'm just kidding, folks. Uh, hopefully you know that I would not do that. But so just people were really nice in there. And we go in there, and sure enough, they got the pale ale beer that I was talking to Bill about at lunch. So it's a home run. Great night. And then we go into this little place after thinking the bar we were going to go into was closed. We see that they have the beer. We get this big table. We started telling. It was really like one of those special times where you're sitting there with a group of guys. Everybody's having a good time. The night was great. And we just started talking about our fathers. It was really weird. And we started just talking about deep stuff about our fathers. And then we had great conversations about sports and life and society and how kids are growing up today. It was just one of those special, special times. So I had a great time. I want to thank everybody uh, obviously, my boy Bill Burr, um, 
fucking just just an absolute blast working with him. And I'm actually going to be in San Antonio, Texas, performing the week that Bill is at Caroline's on Broadway. So I am not going to be with uh, be with him during that that time. Um, I'm sure he'll get some other people on that, obviously. But um, it was good to it was good to to do what we did and thank everybody. Uh, all of your kind words after the shows mean uh, the world to me. People saying the things that they said about my new material. Uh, means the world to me as as you guys know for a comedian the only thing we really give a shit about is growing and how our new material is doing and uh, thank you I also happen to find out that a lot of people wa- listen to this podcast which was fucking awesome like somebody I, I knew that my numbers were growing but to have somebody go oh man I love that episode where you were talking about this people were talking about the episode where I came back drunk after doing that show and <laughs> after doing that show in uh, Vermont, which, by the way, apparently, I guess I could say it now because I don't know if they're checking, but apparently the people in Vermont were kind of unhappy with some things that were said on stage. I don't know if we shit on them too hard, but whatever. That's uh, that's that's done with, and uh, thank you. So, yeah, keep listening, and, and keep all of you guys that said it, man. It, it's uh, it stuck with me. And I hope you're listening to this one, not in your head saying, yes, I fucking listen to it and I like it. And you should, because it's a good fucking podcast. I'll tell you guys the truth and that's it. So is somebody trying to call me? No. All right. I keep hearing this noise and I'm paranoid that somebody's trying to call me. Anytime my son is away and somebody, you know, even if he's with my mother-in-law, I just get afraid that like going to get a call that he fell down. Okay, now I want to talk to you guys about my, uh, what I told you I was going to talk to you about is my Letterman audition. I auditioned for, it was my first time doing this, but I auditioned for The Late Show with David Letterman on Wednesday night in New York City. It was myself, and I believe there was like 10 comedians total, including um, the closer, Joe Matarese closed with 15 minutes, and the host, James Goff, who you guys know from the show, James hosted it, and um, it was truly one of, I'm going to give you guys the process and how it all broke down, so if there's any comedians listening to this, I'll tell you exactly what you can expect when you do this, and exactly how you should handle it, that I saw that that worked, okay, Uh, I'm giving you guys the goods with this one, as I always fucking do, so write your damn comments, please, yeah, Verzi fucking gives it to it the way gives it to us the way that it is. Blah blah blah. And all right. So I gotta be honest. It was one of the best showcases I've ever been a part of. And when I say that, I mean everybody delivered. It was really weird. There was no usually when you do an audition with like eight to ten comedians and stuff, and you're all doing five minutes, and there's important people in the room. Usually, there's a few duds. There's a few, and not even that the people are bad. They just, for whatever reason, shit got in their head. They didn't, they weren't focused, or their their shit didn't hit right, and then it got in their head on stage, and they fucked up. Usually, there's two or three auditions that are shitty. Not the case this time. Okay, I went fifth, I believe. I think. Hold on, there was a host, then there was Dante went, and then it was uh, Dante, Danny, Adrian. Yeah, so I went fifth, including the host. Okay, and. Here's how it works. It was in a small venue, which was better. There was about 80 people, uh, Broadway Comedy Club, upstairs. And 
you know, you go in there. And I didn't want to know where the bookers were. I didn't care where the bookers were. What I did was all I said to myself was this is a five-minute show where I can't curse. So I'm going to do my best clean material and I'm going to have fun with it. And I don't give a fuck who's in the room. Okay, I was actually, it was more nerve-wracking to me that all of my managers, okay, the, the head, the CEO of the company was there, the vice presidents of the company were there, all these guys that have all this belief in me and signed me, they're there. I care about them being in there more because they're the ones giving me this opportunity, okay? So even though the Letterman people were in there, I'm just like, man, you know, these guys like pushed me and pushed my name to be on this show. I want to do good for them. Totally not recognizing that the big people that could get me on CBS and the bookers for David Letterman are sitting in there. So I watched Adrian Appalucci. Uh, Adrian was on the, the podcast back when we did uh, Boston together. Adrian is um, one of my favorites, and she's one of my true friends in comedy. She goes on before me, and I'm watching her. And it was kind of the same feeling I had for the Montreal audition where... When you see somebody doing good before you, instead of letting it freak you out, you just go, good, they're ready, they want to laugh, have fun with them. And of course, I knew when I saw Adrian, and I told her, I, said, I knew when I saw Adrian's name behind mine, I knew I was going to have to follow a good set. I just knew it. She's a great joke writer. She's a funny-ass comedian. And, uh, you know, I knew it. And sure enough, I'm looking in the room, and she's, she's doing great, and I'm happy for her, and I'm going next. And I just go up there and I, I did my five minutes. I opened up with what I wanted to open up with. My opener worked and everything went good. You know what's funny? There was one moment because I was doing a new joke. I was doing a new joke, uh, second to last, second to last bit of my set. I was doing a new joke. And for one split second, maybe two seconds, and nobody could notice it but me. As a comic, you know what I kind of just lost. I was like, wait, which one am I going? And it took one second so nobody noticed. But when I looked over to the right, um, Patrick from Cringe Humor, he had like a light on and a camera, and I kind of just addressed it real quick. I was just like, man, there's a light. And then like all of a sudden it came back to me. Nobody noticed it. Everybody in the room said that they didn't notice it, so it was cool. But I noticed it, obviously. And then I I totally got the joke, and it, it flowed with everything, and then my closer really hit, and it ended up being a, a really good, like I knew that I really got the room with laughs. I was clean. I was funny. And it was a really good audition. And then I saw where the Letterman people were sitting. They were just sitting in a table. There's three of them. They all make the decisions equal. They all have equal power. And they have a clipboard. They have everybody's name. And then when every comedian is done, you know, they'll take notes on it. And they'll just, you know, that's that's what happens. So I got off. I was really happy with it. A lot of the comedians in the room. And, and it was cool because, like, a lot of comedians came to support. There were comedians standing in the back of the room. You know, they knew that a lot was at stake. They knew it was for David Letterman's show. And, you know, everybody was just like, man, good set, dude, great set, and you did good, and, and it just felt good. It was one of those things where um, I have to say and, and, and take this advice, you know, or don't, whatever, but I'm just telling you what it really is. And the advice that I would give is you really can't, you can't care about getting it. I, and I know that sounds crazy, but I don't, listen, this is how I looked at it, Okay. Too many comedians get so fucking crazy, like, oh my God, am I going to get Letterman if I blow this? What if they hate me and never want to watch me again? First of all, there's so many other opportunities out there besides Letterman. This is not the 1980s where when you did one of them, your career was made, okay? 
It was funny. I was talking to Joe Matarese. Joe Matarese was like, yeah, I know people that did Letterman three times, and they got like fucking five extra Twitter followers. So, you know, and listen, I, I think Letterman is a prestigious credit, and it's a great one, and it's one that I want, and I would love to do it, okay? So I'm not trying to downplay that by any stretch of the imagination, but you can't go into an audition saying, oh, my God, like, if I don't get this. Like, I didn't care. I really didn't care because I don't have it now. I don't have it now. You know, I got, I got, you know, other, you know, other things going on right now. I got some things going on right now that I, I really, I can't announce or talk about yet. But like, you know, as long as you're writing and you're making moves and you're hungry and you're, and you're, and you're doing things and you're, and you're working and you're getting up on stage and all that shit, like things are going to happen. So I just looked at it like, if I get this, great. If I don't get this, I'm still going to have a good set and show them I'm funny. And then if they didn't like me now, you know, they could look at me in a year or two. You know, uh, it's not going anywhere. So I, I kind of had that mentality, and that made me go up on stage happy and loose, and that changed everything. It's the same thing that I was saying when I did the South by Southwest audition 24 hours after I did Carnegie Hall. Okay, so I'm on stage at Carnegie Hall, and the, literally the top, one of the most famous stages in the world. It was the most fucking nerve-wracking shit I ever went through in my life. I told, for months I was thinking about the show. I was waking up in the middle of the night going, just because it was Carnegie. And I'll say to this day, I don't care what I do in my career moving forward. I don't know if there will ever be pressure or a show of the magnitude of Carnegie Hall. Okay, even if I went back to Carnegie Hall, that first time at Carnegie Hall was so fucking intense um, and fun and great and just a moment that I'll never forget that, you know... 24 hours later, I'm doing fucking an audition for a festival in front of 20 people and judges in the back. I mean, and I didn't care. I was looking at the judges saying shit. I, I truly didn't give a fuck. Like, like when I mean literally didn't give a fuck, I was, the car was running outside and I, I got free tickets to the, uh, even though I'm a Giants fan, I had free tickets to the Jets Patriots from my mother-in-law and the car was running outside. So I run into this fucking thing. I do the thing. And it was the same thing. I just went into, I mean, the Letterman thing, I was obviously had some nerves about it. And I was like, man, if I have a good set here, it could mean something great. But I wasn't like, it didn't matter. It was just like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And they're going to pick what they're going to pick. And like I said, everybody did good on the showcase. So now it's a matter of, okay, what type of jokes do they like? Because everybody was funny. Everybody deserved to be there. And, you know, they, they could pick a couple of people. They could say, we liked him. We liked him. We want to look at him in six months. You know, it's not something where it's like, okay, we liked him. He's got the show. Oh, you know, she didn't do good. She doesn't have the show. It's not like that. It's like, no, she was funny. We could do something with her. Maybe we could do something to him in a few months. And it's a process. And that's how I looked at it. And that's why I just went up there. You know, don't ever let somebody take you out of what you do. You're there for a reason. And you got to remember that. They're in the, they're in the crowd. They're in the crowd. People forget that. You know, they're the ones watching you. You're the one going on stage with the microphone because you're the talent. So you just do what you do and have fun with it. And that's how I looked at it. And it really helped me. And and to be honest with you, that's how I'm gonna approach, you know, I'm I'm gonna you know, that's how I'm gonna approach every every audition from now on. It's like you go up there and you just do what you do, you have fun with it. Just know your shit. That's why I was kind of crazy because I went through my set so many times and then like that second to last joke, I was like, wait, which one is it? In my head and it only took a second, thank God, but I, I got it. And I might have not got it had I not run it through that many times. So that was my Letterman audition uh, experience and it was something that it, it was really cool because you have really, really important people that can do something great for your career in the room and then you get to give them 
what you give them. I think it was funny, though, because all of us not cursing, you know, a lot of people on that showcase are either dark or edgy comedians, myself included, and it was cool to just do that exercise. It was a great exercise for for myself. I don't want to speak for other people, but I'm sure the other comedians to just go up there and do five TV clean minutes and watching all of the comedians that you know are kind of edgy and, and, and do throw out some curse words, do that was awesome. And everybody delivered on it. So it was, uh, it was a home run. And uh, it was great for, for the company, CH Entertainment. It had to look good to the CBS people and Letterman people because everybody they put in front of them did a good job. So that's really how it worked. It was a small room, a small little stage, about, I guess, 70 people in there. And that was it. So we'll see what happens. You know, they took notes and, and now we wait. But I was happy with it for sure. Uh, okay. That's that, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. And now, now we'll get into a little bit of sports. I am sorry, guys, I did not see a movie again, but I, I I reviewed the the Hunger Games last week, and I'm gonna try to go see a movie this weekend. Considering that I'm off, I might actually do a, a guest spot tonight somewhere, but um, I may go see a late night movie. And if I do, I will obviously review it. All right, I want to get into some sports. I don't know if you guys heard the Greg Williams video, but I actually heard the um, the uncensored one, and I got to tell you, it was fucking disturbing. I mean, I listened to that. For you people that don't know what I'm talking about, Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator of the Saints, who is now suspended indefinitely, and the coach, uh, Sean Payton of the uh, New Orleans Saints, uh, is out a year because of, I guess, you know, this happened under his watch. But for you people that don't know, I will explain really quickly. Sorry to you folks that know. Um, but basically what happened was he put bounties out on players and said, you basically, you'll get paid if you rip that guy's uh, ACL. You'll uh, If you knock that guy out of the game, you'll get paid out of, you know, basically giving them money prizes for hurting other players on other teams. That's what they were doing. The NFL can't have that. But then, after the suspensions were already handed out, something leaked. A documentary filmmaker leaked video from Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator's speech, and it was fucking horrible. It was it was truly like listening to John Gotti talk to one of his hitmen about getting rid of people. It was like the football version of that. Now... Listen, a lot of NFL players were saying everything he said, I've heard it a million times, except the specifics. He got specific. He was like, yeah, we want to see how that guy's concussion's doing. Okay, we want to see how that guy's concussion's doing, so you hit him in the head. He said, "Um, let's rip that guy's ACL, okay? And he was like, I got money for you, like if you do. He was basically saying, he said, I want you to beat Frank Gore's fucking head. Okay, if you kill the head, the body dies. Beat his head. Okay, we gotta be we gotta be conscious of how many times we just beat and kill Frank Gore's head. He goes, I want his head sideways. Like all of this fuck it was actually at one point, and I'm not even trying to sound like a pussy. I love hard nose, hard hitting football. Like like the next guy. Okay. I like it as much as anybody. But it really disturbed me. It it did because it see it was just like a very dark kind of I'll do anything to get ahead way. And it was something that made me think a guy like Tony Dungy would never fucking say that. 
a guy. There's certain guys. I don't even think Tom Coughlin would, you know. And the fact that 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 Gary Payton, the coach, was in the room listening to that and didn't say anything. I want you to rip his ACL. Let's find out about number ten or no? Yeah, that the little wide receiver number ten's concussion. Let's find out about that concussion. We he's got to make a decision. Okay, we got to beat Frank Gore's fucking head. Kill, no, I think he said kill Frank Gore's head. I want his head sideways. He was saying like this fucking. He sounded like a fucking coach for mercenaries. It was it was sick. And and I and I gotta say right now. Anybody that thinks the Saints got too hard of a fucking penalty is out of their minds. Listen to that tape. And don't listen to it what ESPN shows because ESPN is going to show bleep, bleep, bleep. So it just sounds like the guy's quickly cursing. Listen to it in its regular. I think you could get it on YouTube. Listen to it in its regular content. And I would post it up here during the show. But a lot of times when I put audio through the, through the, the, the thing, it, it doesn't work as well. It doesn't come out as well. But it's, it's, really, it's really fucking... You know, tough to listen to. He was saying some shit, man. We're going to kill that motherfucker. We're going to knock that fucker out of the game. If, you know, he's basically talking about knocking people, like ending people's careers. Um, And so unacceptable for the week is not only that piece of shit, but unacceptable for the week is anybody. And if you're in New Orleans, I'm sorry. If you're listening to this and you like the podcast, you're from New Orleans, I'm sorry. Anybody in New Orleans or, or anywhere in the country who thinks that that uh, Sean Payton, Sean Payton's uh, penalty was too harsh. Like, what the fuck is Drew Brees talking about? It's unacceptable. Drew Brees, I need an explanation for this. Do you, Drew? You need a fucking explanation that your coach is sitting in there listening to the the, the defensive coordinator talk about ripping ACLs. You want to rip his ACL? You want to find out about number 10's concussion when all these guys are fucking killing themselves because they're so depressed that when they do an autopsy and they look at the brain, the brain of a 50-year-old man is one that looks like it's from an 85-year-old man? You need a fucking explanation? You know if something fucked Drew Brees and I said it in that stupid fucking mole on his face? Fuck him. I'm glad they got knocked out by the 49ers. And after listening to that tape, I'm, I, I'm not rooting for the Saints anymore. Fuck them. That's ridiculous, man. Unacceptable for the week. Drew Brees saying, I need an explanation. This is too harsh. Fuck you. I, I, you know what I mean? Everybody playing them, man. The Giants played them. All these people playing them. Go for the injuries. Go for Hurt their injury. Rip their leg. I mean, listen. You could say, oh, that guy's hurting this week. That guy's got an injury. Let's let's see if he's better. That's one thing. But to talk about ripping the ACL and, and going after somebody's head and killing somebody's head and turning their head sideways and giving a, a, a bounty, a payment for that, if you knock that guy out of the game, if you rip that guy's fucking head off, I mean, you're going to get money. That's fucking despicable, man. And that's coming from a true football fan, somebody who loves hard-nosed football, and somebody who, you know, I'll be the first one to pop up on a great hit off my couch and be like, oh, dude, he fucked that guy up. That was awesome. I'm the first to do that. But this shit was sickening, man. Unacceptable. I just, it, it's, it's unbelievable to me how dumb fans are. Do you really think that, that Roger Goodell and the commissioner would really do investigative work and do it and, and not give the proper penalty? I'll be. I'll tell you something right now. I don't know. After listening to that that tape yesterday, I'll be surprised if this guy Greg Williams coaches in the NFL again. It sounded horrible. It sounded like a. 
It sounded like a narcissistic fucking hitman. It sounded like a guy who could kill somebody and then go eat a sandwich. And I know it's football, and maybe I'm taking it too far with that example. But just listen to the just listen to the YouTube clip of it, and you tell me if if it sounds we we're gonna kill his head. We gotta kill his head. Continue to go to the head. Okay, isn't head to head contact first of all a 15 yard flag? It is. And and not only did this really make me like concerned about like what the fuck goes on in the NFL with like some people and how harsh it is, but it also made me think now when I see a flag for 15 yards into you know to the helmet, I agree with the fucking officials now. I'm gonna be way more lenient with the officials and flags because of this fucking guy. I'm telling you, just listen to the tape. Just listen to it. It's it's such a it's such a I don't even know, like an eerie. That's the word I'm looking for. It's eerie. It's like an unnatural thing that you would tell your team. Now, you could say, like I said, yo, knock the shit out of that guy. That guy was hurt two weeks ago and he's trying to get back early. Well, we're going to put him back out of the game. That's fine. I'm cool with that. So-and-so's shoulder's hurt, so I want you to plant that shoulder in the ground because he came back too early or we're going to see if he's really healthy. That's one thing. But I don't want you to say, I want you to rip that guy's ACL and you're going to get money for it. That basically could mean end that guy's career and I'll pay you. That guy's got fucking a concussion, which means his brain was swollen next to his skull. Hit it again. Like that's, that's, to me, that's, there's a difference in knocking the shit out of somebody or trying to end their season or career when knowing that they have families and shit, you're going to pay them for it. Totally two different things. I'm telling you, I was so fucking taken back by that thing yesterday that at one point I wanted to turn it off when he was like, kill his head, kill his head. If he did. Like, it sounded like he wouldn't care if the guy died. What would this guy do if somebody really did go head to head, just kept hitting fucking Frank Gore in the head, and Frank Gore like, had like four concussions and fucking became fucking brain dead? What would he do? Would he sit there and go out the next week? It sounded like he would have. It sounded like if fucking Frank Gore was fucking brain dead because of what the Saints did to him all game. It sounds like this guy would just do it the next week and go, that's what the fuck we do. Um, I don't know. And if you're out there going, Verzi's a pussy, fuck you, because I'm not. I, I, I love football and I love hit hard hits, but I thought that was terrible. Unacceptable for the week. Was Is, is, is anybody who thinks that their punishments were too harsh. Um... What else did he say? Something else. He said something else that was just really continue to hit the head. I don't know. All right. Speaking of shitty, Dwight Howard quit on national television last night. It was one of the. It was one of the only times I've ever watched a sporting event where I literally said, "I'll be shocked if this coach coaches another game for this team." And I'm literally witnessing a superstar quit on his coach in front of my very eyes. Yesterday during a press conference, Stan Van Gundy, the coach of the Orlando Magic, said, was asked, um, you know, is it true that Dwight Howard, your star, wants you fired? And instead of him ignoring the question, Stan Van Gundy smartly said, yes, he did. I found out from upper management he did. And it's kind of tough when the star player and one of the premier players in the league wants his coach fired, but he did. And during this shit, Dwight Howard, without knowing what the coach said, comes over and puts his arm around him, which made things really awkward. You saw their faces. You saw Stan Van Gundy's face, and it was weird. 
And he's and he right after he said this guy wants me fired, and then Dwight Howard got caught off guard. Stan Van Gundy walked away, and Dwight Howard got caught off guard. And they said your coach just said you want him fired, and it was just totally like fucked up. Now the Knicks, my New York Knicks, who gave up that horrible game against India, the Indiana Pacers, comes into town last night. And I'm watching the game. Dwight Howard had no points, I think, going into the fourth quarter. Totally quit. The Knicks kicked the shit out of him. The coach didn't look like he was coaching as um, intensely as he normally does. And if you don't know Stan Van Gundy, it's Jeff Van Gundy's brother, and he's loud. He's louder than Jeff. He yells. He goes nuts. He criticizes his team when they don't play good. Like He's one of those like really honest guys, and he just looked like he wasn't into it. And Dwight Howard quit on him. It was really bad. And I have no respect for, for players that when they're getting blown out, they, um, they're they laughing on the bench. And that's what he was doing. He was laughing on the bench. Then some Nick fans were cheering, and he was like egging them on to cheer more. Just an absolute fucking immature moron who just, just sucks. And that's why he's not a winner. And that's why the only way he's going to win a championship is if he goes and he does what LeBron James did. He goes somewhere with somebody else with some fucking heart steps up in place. Well, I started out in a good mood. <laughs> I started out this podcast. I was in a good mood. I'm like, yeah, it's a beautiful day. The sky's blue. It's 60 degrees. And now, ever since that Greg Williams thing and this Dwight Howard quitting, I'm like, I'm, I'm pissed off. But I don't like it. I really don't. And that's why LeBron James, LeBron James and Dwight Howard have the same heart. Okay, they're sitting there like big kids, which they are, but they're always laughing and smiling. You want to see a champion? All right, look at Kobe Bryant when they're losing. When the Lakers are losing and you see the camera pans on Kobe Bryant's face, he either has a towel over his head, he's shaking his head, he's pissed off. Same thing with Tom Brady, same thing with Derek Jeter. There are certain fucking players that just have it in them. Michael Jordan, when Michael Jordan was losing, he was so pissed off. Look at it, you could see it. This guy's laughing, he's joking with us, he quit. I got no respect for Dwight Howard. I used to want him on the Knicks, fuck that, I'm glad he didn't come to the Knicks. You gentle giant pussy. Okay, probably walks on his toes. He's a pussy. I'm just, I, I just look at these guys who get paid all this money. There are people who work so fucking hard in this country. They, they do. They work so hard. You know, they work in inner city schools, doctors. Are you kidding me? Doing surgery, doing this. This guy plays basketball for a living, making what? $25 million a year plus endorsements and he's sitting there losing and you don't even win a fucking champion. Like, I couldn't do that. I'm not built like that. I'm really not. First of all, I'm competitive when I go and I play on my Monday night basketball nights when I go with a bunch of fucking guys who are fathers like me. I get so competitive I want to win. I'm going nuts. You're giving me $25 million. I'm getting blown out and I'm laughing on the bench, smiling because, oh, yeah, he's got a good smile. He's, he's a fucking big shithead. That's what he is. Dwight Howard is a big shithead. Fuck out of here, man. It's so stupid. Quitting on national TV. I never saw that before. I never saw a guy just quit and not care. And then in the in the interview afterwards, he says... Uh, yeah, well, has nothing to do with tonight. Has nothing to do with tonight. Really, the Knicks without Jeremy Lin, without Amari Stoudemire, without Jared Jeffries, okay, with, with fucking white guys coming off the bench hitting threes, and your team is healthy, you're 100% healthy, and you just lost five in a row. You know when they said the last time the Magic lost five in a row was so many years earlier? So many years back. 
did the last time that they they lost four or five in a row. And now they have Jameer Nelson and J.J. Redick and all these supporting cast guys for Dwight Howard, and they still lose. It's garbage. Same thing. It was garbage when the Knicks quit on D'Antoni. The Knicks quit on D'Antoni. They lost. They lost. As soon as D'Antoni leaves, they, they, they play. It's bullshit. You're a professional. Where's your Where's your competitive... Sp- what do you have, little meetings? Like little fucking high school kids? Okay, okay. Let's just like do what we can. But like we'll get the coach out of here and then we'll really play. Fuck you. Dickheads. It's sickening to watch. I can't believe I watched a superstar in the NBA quit on his coach last night on TV. I tweeted last night. I said, I, I, if Jeff Van Gundy coaches another game, I'll be shocked. I'll be absolutely shocked. And they didn't fire him today, so that might happen. And maybe it's just upper management trying to like make the media frenzy go away. But it, it's it's a mistake. Jeff, I mean, and, and Stan Van Gundy wants to get fired. He does. He, he's going to go to another thing. He said, I'll get another job. He said in an interview yesterday, it's 12.02. If they fired me at 12.05, I have things to do. I'd be fine. He wants to go. It was unreal. Unbelievable. Um, well, I guess sports is dominating this podcast. Sorry, ladies. All right. Tiger Woods. Um, actually, when I'm done this podcast, which is going to be uh, in a couple of minutes here, I got some plugs to do. Talk about a couple things real quick before I get out of here. But um, Tiger Woods is uh, even. He bogeyed the last two holes at the Masters. I'm rooting for the guy. You know, I think what he did to his wife was really tough. Obviously, it was bad. You know, it's not like he got caught cheating. He got caught fucking a girl in each state, in each country, in the world. And but I mean, he paid for it, didn't he? He lost his kids uh, half the time. And she got what a quarter of a billion dollars. So I think I think that he paid his debt. And I'd like to see a guy who was that great get back. I think that that would be a great story. Because uh, I think this would be one of the biggest falls ever. If he doesn't win another major, this would be one of the biggest. I mean, they'll make a movie, and and they'll do something about. I mean, this would be the biggest collapse ever. This is like up there with Tyson's collapse. Mike Tyson just falling from grace, you know. It's just, I think, um, you know, but I think it's a great story and a better story if Tiger just starts shitting on everybody again and starts winning again. So I'm kind of rooting for him. Even though I I don't think he's the best guy, I just I want to see if his greatness on the golf course can come back. Um, So I'm into the Masters. I went there in 2010, and it was so cool to watch, and watching it on TV is unreal. I played golf the other day, and... I got the itch to play again, so it's cool that the uh, Masters is on. And what else? Um, you know, we'll see what happens in the NBA. I think the Knicks, I think the Knicks can um, can make a run in the playoffs if they get healthy. I don't know what's going on. Every time you look at the Bulls, uh, Derrick Rose isn't playing. And uh, I think if the Knicks get healthy, they could they could do something. So I'm I'm into that. And today, folks, is opening day for baseball. The New York Yankees are opening their season today. In Tampa Bay playing the Rays. That starts in about an hour. Obviously, you know my boy Robinson Cano. I, I, I love that dude. I hope he goes to the Hall of Fame. I think he will. And um, So that's it for sports. Busy day in sports. Masters, Yankees, all this shit going on in the NBA. All this stuff going on with this with this, that Saints thing. But check that Saints thing out. And just listen to, listen to the explicit... Okay, don't don't listen to what they're doing on ESPN. Just go to YouTube and listen to what he really said, like, in the room. 
and it's pretty uh, pretty intense stuff. Okay, plugs coming up. I have Scranton, Pennsylvania. I'll be at Wisecrackers Comedy Club in Scranton, Pennsylvania uh, next Friday and Saturday, April 13th and 14th. And I also want to plug, I will be headlining at Levity Live Comedy Club May 17th, the brand new beautiful Levity Live Comedy Club. It's unbelievable in there. It's located in the Palisades Mall. Um, I can't believe that that club is in the Palisades Mall when you see it because it is one of the most unbelievable comedy clubs I've ever been in. And I've been in a lot all over the country. It's awesome. I will, I'm honored to be headlining there. They treat you phenomenally. The food is great. It's just a great atmosphere. That is Thursday, May 17th. Get your tickets now. Tickets are on sale now. And um, I'm going to be doing uh, a long, long set, hopefully like 45 minutes. And it should be fun as hell. Okay? Get your tickets for that. I'll be in Scranton this weekend. And, uh, oh, and I'm going back to Cal. Going back to Cali. I'll be in California performing. Um, and I'm going to be in California, I believe is on the 20, I'm going to be performing at the uh, Irvine Improv, the Improv in Irvine, California on um, April 24th, I will be there, I will be there, April 24th I'll be performing at the uh, Improv in Irvine, California because I'm going to be out in California shooting some more documentary stuff with some uh, some special guest people, it's going to be a good movie. It's going to be a great documentary, so uh, keep your eyes out for that. So that's what I got going on. I'm going to update the website. Please check that out. Follow me on Twitter, at Paul Verzi. Uh, you could uh, like my Facebook fan page. Um, friend me on my personal thing if you see me perform, if you like what I do. I appreciate everybody who uh, listens to this. Please keep your comments coming, and uh, tell a friend. Tell a friend, say, listen, if you like listening to the radio, if you like listening to the radio when you want to listen to it, check out uh, comedian Paul Verzi's podcast, The Verzi Effect. And um, if you don't like it, please don't tell anybody that you don't like it. But if you do like it, tell everybody. Okay? This has been episode 57. Um, Next week, I don't know if I'm going to have a guest. I might, but I definitely am having a guest. I will be having comedian Danny LaBelle. Danny LaBelle will be on the show uh, April 19th. Check Danny out. That's Danny LaBelle. He's very funny. He works with Ralphie May a lot. He's uh, actually really big overseas. Um, Nice guy. Funny comic. And uh, we have a couple of funny stories that we'll tell. So uh, that'll be on April 19th. So keep checking in. And uh, check me out, everybody. I will talk to you next week. Thank you.